Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel from On Shamit Synagogue in Chicago and author Jonathan Eig as they talk about this week's Torah portion of Bayetse. Was the diaspora good for the Jews? I used to have a professor at the Jewish Theological Seminary who actually became a chancellor. And I remember a certain lecture that he was giving where he said, thank God we went into the diaspora because otherwise we would have never become civilized. What did he mean by that? Well, I think that he was saying that had Jews never been exiled from Jerusalem after the destruction of the Second Temple in the year 70, we would have kind of remained this sort of tribal people, kind of narrow in our own focus, and we would have never really been fully exposed to Western civilization, Western culture, in the most positive of ways, as he was understanding it. And that, in a sense, what he was doing was celebrating the diaspora experience. Interesting. Um, I've often thought about how different we would be, or if we would still be here, um, had it not been for the diaspora, right? Being forced um, to wander, being forced to tell our stories over and over again because we didn't have, you know, a library to put them in. Um, did this guarantee our survival in a way that, you know, one never might have predicted? More, I think you could say, or have we been a bigger influence on the world through the diaspora, right? Because we were part of other people's other cultures and they, we made them our own and we made our own contributions. Has that been more positive as a result of us uh, being in the diaspora as opposed to being in the land of Israel alone? Right. And, and how does that shape our character? The fact that we are, you know, um, having to adapt to new places, that we're um, struggling to survive, that we're you know, sort of, you know, fighting for our rights to belong. Does that make us, you know, scrappier, more determined um, or, yeah. you know, or, or what else? So many different ways this shapes our very DNA as, as Jews. Right. We we have an ability to immerse ourselves in other people's cultures. Look at look at your books, for instance. You're a, a biographer, you're a writer, but look at the subjects that you've chosen over the years, whether it's um, Muhammad Ali or Dr. King in the book that's forthcoming, or Lou Gehrig or Jackie Robinson. The right? invention of the birth control pill, which everyone leaves out when they talk. <laughs> well, For some reason, I was people thinking, don't like to talk about that one as much. No, I was just thinking about you as a, uh, as a biographer, but forgive me for leaving that one out. But the point is, is that these are not overtly Jewish topics. No, I'm the wandering Jew. I'm the, uh, the writer of the diaspora, right? I'm going from place to place. I'm picking different cultures and, and immersing myself in them and trying to learn about them all. So maybe I am uh, a reflect, maybe my career is a reflection of, of my uh, diasporic roots. Is that a word, diasporic? Yeah, it is. Uh, okay. It is. And I, I think, by the way, yeah, that would be good for Scrabble, I think. Um, <laughs> a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of big words in there, uh, big letters. Uh I think that's exactly right. And one could argue, and I guess we could talk about this as well, you know, you bring your own perspective. You're literally coming from the outside, right? So you talk about Dr. King, you knew him as an American, you knew him 
as a great leader, but you didn't know him as a person of color. But you, that gives you a perspective in a way to examine him in, shall we say, a less biased way, a less weighted way. I think we're all biased and we all bring our biases. Um, so if I were writing about a Jew, I would bring that bias. Uh, if I were, you know, writing about a woman, I bring my masculine bias, right? So, um, it's interesting because as a journalist, you're trained or you're at least pretending that you're, you know, seeking objectivity, that you're coming at this thing neutrally, but nobody comes at anything neutrally. We come with whatever's baked into us. And in my case, it's being white, it's being Jewish, it's being male, it's being American. And you try to be objective. But of course, you know, I tell these stories of other people. I tell the story of Muhammad Ali or the invention of the birth control pill with these biases that I can't control. And I have to try to keep them in mind and try to um, be aware of them and, and, and think about how it's affecting my view of the story, but um, you can't you can't ignore them and you can't deny them. That's for sure. Right, but the diasporic issues that you raised or that that you noted earlier, I think do apply. You know, we could look at it through that lens and see how interesting that is. How the Jewish experience outside the land of Israel has been an influence and has made an impact. And one of the really interesting aspects is that the diaspora loomed large almost from the beginning. Jacob and Esau have this altercation, and then it, it's intensified with the swindling of the birth blessing. And then things are so bad that Esau wants to harm his brother, even kill him after Isaac dies. And so what does Jacob do? His mother encourages him, and he runs away. Vayetze, that he went out, he fled. In the rabbinic mind, Jacob is the quintessential Jew. Like when we look at the moon, Jews in their own egocentric way say, oh, the man in the moon, that face in the moon, yeah, that's Jacob. But then they go on and say something really interesting about that. They say, and the phases of the moon, when the moon, the face of the moon gets dark, or the face of the moon is light, that's Jewish history. There are times when the plight of Jacob's and his children or his descendants have been very dark and at times has been filled with light. And so in a sense, we, you and I are living Jacob's experience, right? You know, we're here today. We're living in the United States because we've fled. Now we could have a whole conversation about why we're not going and living in the land of Israel today. But to the point about the diaspora, we are Jacob's children, aren't we? Absolutely. Uh, we are people forced to improvise, people forced to uh, adapt uh, to uh, tremendous instability to and to find our, our Judaism wherever we are, right, to, um, to make it our own in whatever place we end up. And, and I think that's a big part. You know, we're always seeking. We're always looking and we're always um, uncertain of the future, right? And I think that adds a sense of urgency to our existence. I think that's true. But there have been all kinds of unexpected blessings that have come through the diaspora. Because while I've noted that Jews have had an influence on the larger culture wherever we've gone, the culture has also impacted us. And one of the fascinating aspects of the rebirth of the land of Israel and having Jews come from all 
corners of the diaspora is that they brought a little bit of their own diasporic, to use your word, experience uh, with them. So the diaspora affected each of us differently, whether you were a Jew coming from, I don't know, Lithuania or Yemen, a Jew coming from Germany or a Jew coming from Morocco. All of those cultures affected us differently, and we were very different as a result of that. So we have been impacted by the diaspora. You know, I was recently in uh, Greece with a group from our congregation, and it was a fascinating trip. But to go to a place like Salonika, which became sort of a clearinghouse for Jews from the diaspora, Jews came to Greece during all kinds of phases of Jewish history. When things got bad in Western Europe, Jews came to Greece. When things got bad around the diaspora, when the Jews were ousted from Spain, a significant number of Jews came to Greece and, and most notably to uh, Salonika. And what they did was they all kind of built their own synagogues. So there's uh, Romaniot synagogues, there are synagogues that are from Jews who are living and Greek-speaking Jews who are living around uh, Italy and, and who ultimately fled there. And there are Sephardic synagogues and there are even Ashkenazic synagogues. And they all have their own, you know, internal makeup. But, the, but we have been affected by the diaspora as well, wherever we've gone. You mentioned Greece, and I think this is true for most of us. Um, whenever we travel, if there's a Jewish pocket, if there's a Jewish relic, if there's an old Jewish neighborhood, we go. And we say, wow, they were Jewish too. Wow, they, you know, they, they, some of our people were here too. Um, and it's always different. It's always fascinating. But there are always some elements that are the same, uh, yeah. regardless of, of where you go. And then, as you point out, you come back to, to Israel and you can see the, it's almost like mosaic pieces. Uh, oh, they've been reassembled here in Jerusalem. And you can see this sort of picture of, of all those different communities that are scattered um, around the globe. Okay, so having said all this... Having said all this, would you think that was my professor at the Jewish Theological Seminary correct? I know you were shocked by that statement that he made when I opened it up uh, at the beginning of this podcast. But what do you think about it now? In other words, that the best thing that could have happened to Jews, the thing that civilized us most, was the diaspora. I think I can understand that. I think it's probably right. And I think it, you know, it may even be the reason we're still here. That's interesting. Well, that's something to ponder. Yeah. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks, Rabbi.